It may be stated with some certainty that travel can be trying even to the steadiest of characters. Thus, it was with some trepidation that Jane, Lady Vincent, found herself on a tour of the continent as part of her sister's wedding party. Her last visit to the continent had ended abruptly when Napoleon had escaped his exile and reigned terror on Europe. The troubles she faced with this tour had been of the prosaic sort. Which carriage to take, how to arrange their party's quarters, and most of all, how to manage her mother's nerves. Those nervous complaints had been a constant companion on their meandering course across Europe. Jane was relieved that they were now in the free imperial city of Trieste, where she and her husband would separate from the rest of the family. She would miss Melody and Mr. O'Brien, and had become quite fond of his parents, Lord and Lady Stratton. Of course, she would be sorry to say farewell to her father. But no amount of tender regard for her mother could quite subdue her relief at their impending departure. Fair weather had favored them, and their last morning in the city had been filled with balmy breezes off the Gulf of Venice, which gave glad tidings for the voyage that they would shortly take to Venice and from there to Murano. Jane climbed down the worn steps of the old Roman amphitheater in the heart of the city, following her husband to where the stage had once lain. The sides of her bonnet shielded her from glimpsing the modern buildings that surrounded the open-air theater and allowed her to maintain the conceit that she stood in part of the Roman Empire. As she walked, she kept her gaze trained upon Vincent's back. Though it was at least three years out of fashion, the blue coat of Superfine showed off the breadth of Vincent's shoulders to great advantage. His brown hair curled over the top of his tall collar. Even with his high-crowned hat, the wind disheveled his hair further than his usual wont. When he made an effort, he could cut as fine a figure as any gentleman of Jane's acquaintance, but she much preferred the ease of his natural carriage. Vincent paused at the base of the stairs and consulted the letter he was holding. Byron says the glamural is under an arch to the right of the stage. Jane lifted her head and peered around, looking for the old stage illusion. Trieste had so many ruins from when it was part of the Roman Empire that no one in the town paid them much heed. But Lord Byron's letter to Vincent said that this faded revenant of glamour was worth viewing. As the ruin was but three streets from the docks, it seemed a natural excursion to make before departing. The sides of the amphitheater rose around them in a gentle slope that took advantage of the natural hillside. Remnants of old brick pilings showed where the back of the stage had once stood as a colonnade. Now there was nothing there to prevent them from seeing the street, which ran just on the other side of a row of remaining column bases. A few slabs of marble still graced the ruins, a vestige of their former glory. Do you think he meant a whole arch, or just a fragment? Vincent scowled at the page, holding it in both hands to steady it against the warm breeze. I am uncertain. Jane took a few steps toward one of the marble remnants, which stretched higher than the others. As she did, part of a brick arch came into view. Movement flickered within it for a moment. Here, Vincent. He hurried across the cracked paving stones, folding the letter as he went. Well-spotted muse. Jane and Vincent slowed as they reached the arch, as though their movement might disturb the illusion that had been spun there. In the shadow the remaining brick cast across the ground, the ghost of a lion stood, tossing its head.
The glamorist who had created the illusion had rendered the lion with the precision of one who had actually seen such a beast. As faded as the illusion was, the folds of glamour that sketched it remained robustly alive. The mane was torn and frayed, with almost no fine details remaining, but still moved as though it belonged to a real lion. The beast bent its head and opened its mouth in a silent roar. The skeins that would have provided the sound had long since decayed back into the ether. Jane sought Vincent's hand in wonder. He took it, as silent as she in appreciation for the artistry of the long-dead glamorist. The lion swished its tail and stalked back and forth beneath the narrow confines of the arch.